0: Thank you for joining us for Mastering the Art of Retail Design, a Folio webinar. I'm very excited to have a client special guest for you. I'm delighted to introduce Christina Wang. Christina is the Program Manager for Global Store Planning at Tiffany & Co., a world-renowned luxury design house under the Watches and Jewelry Division at LVMH. Uh, She brings a wealth of experience in the retail design industry, particularly in project management and cross-functional programming. Christina's role is focused on software implementation and process improvements, driving execution of new store openings across global networks. Today, we're going to be covering the trends, trials, and triumphs in retail design. Um, So to start off, Christina, uh, do you want to share some of the prevailing trends in the retail sector that you've been seeing lately?
1: Um, I think that with the growth of e-commerce and digital media, The primary role of brick-and-mortar stores has now shifted from transactional to more experiential. Um, People need a defined incentive to come into stores. Um, In the luxury sector, we're seeing more in-store sales as opposed to online due to the nature of the product and people wanting to physically see the product and try it on before they make that commitment. And so what this means for both the fashion and luxury industry as a whole is that now all the store design concepts are very engagement driven. Um, The objective is to inspire customers to buy into the brand rather than convince them to make a purchase. Um, You really want the customer to identify with the product they're buying and feel included within the brand story, um, not just as somebody who's purchasing a product. And so from a design perspective, I think this translates to the strategic selection of materials and features, whether it be commissioned artwork or other very specific developments that speak to the brand story um, so that you can have touch points throughout the store for engagement between the client advisors and customers. Um, And so this means having more talking points, having more things than just the product itself to speak to when you're sharing what the brand uh, means. Um, And I think one of the last things that's been on trend lately is the inclusion of omnichannel upgrades. upgrades. Um, this allows customers to have like a really seamless end-to-end experience, whether they first learn about a product via something they saw online or an advertisement. Um, they can go into the store and directly begin their interaction by showing the sales clerk something that they're interested in if they already knew about it. Um, Another example of this is that within the built environment itself, we're shifting away from traditional sales counters and checkout lines and more towards mobile point of sale devices. So this allows an ongoing one on one interaction between sales associates and people who are interested in product. Um, That way you don't have to make them like take things, go to a counter, check out and stand and wait. They can conduct the entire sale from initiating interest to finalizing the payment from the comfort of a chair. Um, And I think with the digital integration, now we're seeing a lot of um, mobile interactions, for example, QR codes or AR or VR components that might be built into the store. Um, For example, I think at Tiffany, we have some special windows where if you were to like put your phone over it, it'll give you like a promotional offer for a limited time and you would also see special animations that obviously don't exist in real life. (laughs)
0: Um, And how are you thinking about these different trends and implementing them when you're designing the store before it even opens?
1: So for us, um, there's a very strong focus on dynamic circulation and design. Our current concept is fully story-driven by assigning distinct material palettes to each of our major product categories. So on screen, you can see that it's divided into icons, diamond designs, all about love, legendary designers, high jewelry, silver, home, and of course, the famous blue box cafe. Um, so each of these universes, as we call them, has a concept assigned unto itself. So as you move throughout the store, there's a different, um, different opportunities for product discovery, um, along a cohesive journey. So as you move into each area, you have, you know, a different environment that you're immersed in, from the walls and the finishes to how the product itself is being displayed. And so this really means that our stores, when they're being planned at the onset, they're set up as a series of vignettes um, for each specific category, which creates an architectural flow that um, promotes intuitive discovery and interaction as you move throughout the store. So um, for a more specific example, the silver universe is designed to draw the attention of younger customers. Um, and it features a personalization bar as well as an art focal point um, with the silver heart tags, which a lot of younger customers might be familiar with because it's a very common gift Um, I think for special occasions, whether it be birthdays or graduations. And so by combining entry level pricing with a memorable experience, um, this touch point really seeks to provide an opportunity to begin building brand loyalty for customers who might not be able to afford other pieces from the brand at this time. Um, But knowing that there's still something for them to feel included and accessible um, is what this area is really all about. And so you can see that there are very specific finishes assigned to the interior. Um, we have, of course, a dedicated focal point for this, not just this zone, for for every zone within the store, um, as well as a dedicated selection of FF&E that all together ultimately tie back into the product. Um, I think that another thing that we're very focused on internally is cross-functional collaboration between our different teams. So our store design, our Merchandising and in-store experience teams all work together to layer visual, tactile and sensory components to achieve an immersive and transportative experience within the store environment. Oops. What are some trials
0: that you feel you face when you're trying to create these experiences? Um, It might not just be design wise, but also procurement wise and creating it, making it come to life.
1: Oh, if you don't mind, I was actually going to speak on that a little more and, and provide a okay. specific example. Um, So this is uh, these photos are from our newest Berlin location. Um And as you can see, there's like a very stark contrast between one room to the other. So, for example, client advisors might begin to engage with customers over the sculptural vitrine and the diamonds area by sharing Tiffany's famous history of yellow diamonds. And so as they transition from the bright sales floor to the private salon, um, clients are then greeted with this very graphic explosion of peonies, which are done by the artist Vic Muniz, as well as plush seating and the scent of fresh flowers. Um, And you can see from the overall vibe of the room, there's also soft lighting and they also play a different music set. And that's really meant to set the scene for when clients are invited to try on jewelry and to make that experience feel really special. Um, The idea is to make them feel as if they're transported to a different place and make themselves feel as elevated as the jewelry that they're trying on and then the environment that they're in. And finally, um, the clients can close the sale from the comfort of the sofa, as the advisors are able to present payment options through a mobile POS advice device. Um, if they're already an existing customer, they don't have to really make that payment at all. As soon as they're sitting there, they can just, you know, have their little champagne toast and, you know, move on, um, because all of their information would have already been stored on file by the sales team. So that's, you know, kind of the different ways we've been trying to make the overall store experience feel more special and inspirational and immersive.
0: Yeah, that's a very elaborate um experience that you've put together. There's so many parts coming together in order to create that. Um, what were the trials
1: that you have had when creating a piece like this
0: and making sure everything comes together?
1: Um, I think number one is definitely managing the expectations of different stakeholders. So as a global company we have um Several sects of leadership. One, of course, is our central executive leadership team, meaning the CEO, the executive vice president, and so on and so forth. But each region functions as its own business unit. And depending on the tendencies of the leader within that region, their priorities might be different. So, for example, in Europe, where this store was built, the regional president has a greater focus on budget and timing. He's less concerned about the aesthetic execution of the stores. Um his view is kind of as long as they look better than the old ones, that's good enough for me. But make sure everything is within the costs that we had submitted for this project. Um, meanwhile, centrally, the design team, the design leadership, as well as the CEO, he's they're very concerned with the global brand image and they want for it to be consistent. So in their view, they're like, you know, we would rather have the most flawless store in the end, even if it means spending a little more money. Um, and now our design team is central in New York, whereas the project managers and procurement team responsible for executing the project are located in Europe. And so there ends up being a lot of back and forth. If something comes out to be more expensive, the region either will request a redesign or attempt to source an alternative on their own, which might not look as good, um, which then could, you know, come back to the central design team and cause a few issues. Um, I think another thing that we frequently encounter is budget visibility. So at the front end, designers currently don't have any visibility to the costs associated with the specifications they're assigning to stores. They might have a rough idea. Um, but for example, if the cost of a lamp just for the commodity is $2,000, they might not be aware that it doesn't include the shade. It doesn't include like the regional wiring. Um and then there might be further, like, you know, creating, packing, et cetera, fees. So by the time the region places the order, this $2,000 lamp could cost $5,000. And this is a very small example, but it could apply to anything within the store. So for larger pieces, like that sculptural diamond vitrine that you see, the custom chandelier, all of these costs begin to add up. So in many cases, by the time, like, less than 70% of the commodities are purchased, we've already consumed the full project budget.
0: Okay, wow. Um,
1: And what
0: strategies do you use to help overcome something like that, to help communicate throughout the team? Because that, I mean, that is your role, managing the cross-functional teams.
1: (laughs) Right. Um, So one thing we're really big on is defining processes and making sure that everybody is aligned on the order of accountabilities, um, as well as adhering to those expectations, so for example, um over the last year throughout the evolution of the new store concept, things were completely all over the place. Even the designers didn't have final specifications approved because so many so many of these items are completely custom developments. They're not off the shelf products. Um and so they will work with the supplier to go through a very extensive sampling phase to make sure that the final item that is implemented in stores 100% represents the vision that designers had. So this is something that I had put together last month um, to provide very distinctive guidelines and deadlines for the first and second phases of our project life lifecycle. Um, and so before you can see there's a very um, distinct order in which things need to be done, as well as deadlines that need to be respected, as well as all of the teams that are associated with each task. Um, so at the beginning, when the region presents the original project proposal, um, they first needs to be assessed by the central design and planning team, and then gets sent back for revision, then gets sent in for executive review, goes back to the regional teams for another round of revision. And within the last two weeks of this first phase, um, it gets sent to the central finance team to really finalize the numbers before the budget is fully presented. Um, and right now, People are either taking longer than they should to, you know, issue feedback or come back with the revisions. And so this eight week process, what what should be an eight week process, is currently taking anywhere up to three to four months to complete, especially if. Everything wasn't completely tuned up before the final meeting, meaning that it would have to be sent back for resubmission, adding another month to that project phase. And this is very problematic because when the regional team is first presenting this proposal, they are typically identifying an opening date that is agreed upon with the landlord. And so if this doesn't get approved in time and you add another month or two to this resubmission, they have to further go back and negotiate with the landlord to see what can be done. Um, either because there's an existing tenant that's moving out at a very specific time and they don't want empty space within the mall um, because it'll make, you know, the overall mall look bad or something to that effect. Um, and then you can see for phase 1B, which is the schematic design phase. Um, right now, we're also trying to streamline that process to make sure it's as efficient as possible, meaning um, it goes first to the creative vice president of store design for the review before it gets sent to Sylvia who oversees all of the design and CVM before it goes again back to the zone president who is the market leader. And once, once all of those stakeholders are aligned, the final design in terms of plan renderings, interiors, facade, are the inclusion of all of these different components that go into the store experience are finalized and the design is presented for approval. Um, And so, By getting everyone to kind of adhere to these individual tasks within the process as a whole, we're hoping to have, you know, less instances of going back and forth and redoing things um, when it could really just be like a four-step process instead of 10-step. And
0: what tools are you using to help manage this process and keep everything on track?
1: So Folio is definitely a huge component to this. Um, We have a very specific workflow for folio in terms of how our columns and um, markers are set up within the system. So for project sheets, um, we're really hoping that all the specifications are finalized by the time the project reaches the design development phase. Um, This is because a lot of our items, they have very extensive lead times. Um, as well as some of these smaller artisanal suppliers, they have very limited capacity to produce. Um, and so the project management and procurement teams need as much time as possible from the minute that they know what the specifications for the store are to reaching out to suppliers and coordinating purchases and deliveries. Um, I think the other thing in regards to budget visibility, is within folio of course we have our full database of items within the internal library um but as the concept has evolved there's been a lot of changes so some items once we saw them in stores or once we got them from the supplier and they didn't match the sample we approved it's been a learning process of what does and doesn't work and so there i think the store concept has undergone three major changes since um, the acquisition by LVMH when we decided there would be a full overhaul of what the stores should look like. And so now the interior design team is working on removing all of the obsolete items and categorizing um, the new specifications so that they're standardized to the product category that they belong to. And once that is done, the procurement team will go into folio and then assign the standard lead time, which is, Kind of a ceiling lead time for these products as well as the contract pricing, all inclusive of creating and any other fees that the design team might not be aware of. And from that, we're hoping to then be able to calculate the average cost per square meter for each typology of product category within stores. So for example, um, at the front end, if we know that a particular store is going to include a watches gallery that is 50 square meters, then we would be able to provide an approximate estimation of how much a 50 square meter watches gallery would cost.
0: Awesome. Um, So how have you seen that, you know, using folio has changed your process since, you know, prior to folio?
1: So prior to adopting folio, um, the interior designers were literally doing PDF markups of spec callouts, so they were pasting in little thumbnails of different items and drawing arrows in. It was super messy, and the, cons- the format was never consistent. And, of course, with design changes, they would have to completely redo that document, send it back over email. Um, and sometimes those changes don't get translated to all of the individual spreadsheets that the project managers and procurement team might have. Um And I think another issue is we have both central and regional procurement teams um, for specific items. The central team is responsible for ordering, um, whereas for other items, the region is supposed to order. And so nobody knew what exactly they were supposed to be responsible for. And what this resulted in are a lot of abortive orders. So sometimes the central team might have placed a bulk order for something and the regional team wasn't aware of it. And then they double purchased the item um, and so on and so forth. And we saw this for the first wave of new concept stores that had opened from Q4 of 2022 into Q1 of 2023, where we had presented renderings from the design team that were approved by the CEO, market leaders and everyone else. Um, But when the stores open, they looked nothing like the renderings. And so there was this huge disconnect between what was being specified and what was being purchased and implemented in stores. Um Now that all of our teams are using Folio, we've been able to centralize um all of the workflows and data assigned to each project. And so now we have a constant stream of live updates. If a design change occurs, everyone immediately has access to it and is aware of what they need to do. To make that happen whereas before not only were people not getting this information they also weren't going back to the central team to let us know if they had already placed an order for something and so the design change is not recommended Um, i think another thing that folio has been great in facilitating is optimizing the project turnover as a whole as well as handover from one team to the next so going back to that workflow that i shared um, we're trying to get designers to, you know, kind of lock every other team out of the project sheet until they absolutely have every single specification in there. Um, Because before, everybody was looking at the project sheet at the same time, and in any given week, you know, the sheet might look completely different on Friday than where it was on Monday. And so we've come up with a few different conventions, such as adding, you know, like dummy placeholder items for specifications we know need to be in that store, but the final item... Um, has not yet been determined. And so now, once the projects are handed over to the um, the regional project managers and procurement teams, they're aware of exactly what is approved to order at that time, as well as any outstanding specifications um, to be later delivered by the design team.
0: Okay. Um, earlier, you spoke about, you know, if you wanted to know what the estimations would be on Say creating a, um, watches section for each store. Um, if it's 50 square meters, you know how much it's going to be. There's actually with that, that's very relevant to a new feature we have coming out called product blocks.
2: Sure. Hi, everyone. Aaron here with the customer success team and account management team in Folio. Uh, and yes, Kara, thank you. And thanks, Christina, for, for sharing this. We do have a product that, um, help optimize this, this processes. It's a new product and we've talked about this in the past. So we'll like to, to go over it real quick. And, uh, first of all, um, I'd like to share my screen with you so I can show you what the, um, the scope of this product is, uh, understanding that there are some pain points like, you know, how much product each store is getting and not only on a retail environment, but also on hospitality. We know that we have different, um, Customers in this call that are in different industries. Uh, and then the pain points can be very similar, if, if, if you will. Uh, also assorting of store typologies, like Christina was saying, you know, uh, retail stores usually have different typologies of, of, of stores and, and rooms within one location. Also understanding, uh, where the products should land to the stores in the appropriate ways or in the appropriate forms. It's, it's relevant. Assortment strategies, ordering discrepancies. It's something that uh, it's often happening out there with with our users in a lot of manual calculations you know um, so understanding these pain points uh product folio has developed a product that allows you to group items right It allows you to group items and build commonly used products for different areas right This would allow you to have visibility and save a lot of time in the different phases of your project to easily peek and grab this product blocks and bring them to your new projects, right? I want to show my screen real quick, and I'll get back to this presentation to show you what the scope of this future is. Um, if you go to your Folio, if if we have some prospects in this call, maybe we can talk separately about this since you don't have a, already a, an experience with the interface of Folio, but we have an internal library and under the internal library we have product blocks, as you can see here, you can assign brands, types and regions to your product blocks. You can also assign an image to it so you can have visibility across all of these. And it's very simple to create a new block, right? You select the block, you type in the name, you just add a visual image that represent the block, and then you can start adding your items to your block. What this would allow you to do is save a lot of time on the specification part of the process. Instead of going one by one, you, you can simply create your blocks, invest that time building your product blocks. And when you're working on your project sheets, you can simply grab those blocks and bring them through your project sheets. This is applicable to multiple, multiple workflows. As we can see here, we're looking at some different typologies on the retail side. But you can think about if you're in hospitality as a king room, right? Or if you're, if you're joining us from a, in the school industry, the different rooms that you might have, like kindergarten, or you know um, any other type of firms like kitchens. If you're looking at if you're hearing this uh, webinar from a residential perspective and design, this could be the different areas within a residence. Um, it's very easy when you go to your project sheets, you'll find that you would have it as an additional option now, instead of adding from scratch and going by one by one, you can find that. Uh, You can simply click on your product blocks, search by your region blocks, types, and brands, click on it, and your block will be automatically added to your project sheet, allowing you to save a lot of time and having the right quantities in the right stores um, for the next part of your process. We believe that um, that's a great solution for different pain points that we saw out there with our users. And just like that, Folio made a new future. We have Forest here. Um, like I said, the return of investments or, or, or the benefits is that you can implement a system that accurately aligns your product quantities with your stores, with your hotels, with your residences typologies. And this can lead to an optimized inventory turnover. Another one is the reduction in excess inventory cost and decreased instant instances of stockouts. Another one, it's minimizing ordering discrepancies through automation and improved processes leading to a more accurate asset management and reduced operational costs. These are just some of the benefits that, um, I wanted to share with you. Like I said, it's a very simple future, but very powerful when it comes to, uh, your workflow. So I'm going to hand off the mic to my product team to see if they have something else that, that they like to add in case I missed something.
3: Now, personally, I think you covered it really well, Aaron. And, uh, I'll I'll hand it back to Kara for a second.
0: Yeah, we Folio actually has another feature that was pioneered by Tiffany's. So they were the ones that originally requested this feature. We did some market research and realized it's something that a lot of teams could use. Um, And it's in beta testing right now, and Lachlan can present that. It's called cross-project reporting
3: effectively, this has been in beta for the last couple, um, last month or so. Uh, we've actually, uh, we're about to release this to be generally available on Tuesday next week. And so what we're looking at uh, solving here is just a lot of those challenge, challenges that come up when you're scaling operations, uh, you know, to build out many locations. These are things that can range from like general coordination to just like aligning multiple design and regional teams, uh, like Christina was mentioning before, especially when it comes to Aligning these teams to brand standards and to bulk purchasing. So, uh, just to introduce the feature really quick, uh, you can uh, see all of your projects within the within the account. These can be drilled down to for regions. So, like you might have this set up as you know your Americas, Europe, um, or Asia, something along those lines, or even like lower level regions that filter down all of those projects within the region. Uh, then you've got that opportunity to select specific projects and, uh, categories as well. So for this example, I've just taken, uh, the, uh, decorative lighting. And <clears throat> so within this, uh, you've got that opportunity to still, uh, you know, group as we already know and filter down on any of the columns that you have available within your project sheets. So, uh, the other thing here is the ability to just add in any columns from those project sheets as well. So, If you just want to select any new uh, item, uh, you've got the ability to say, okay, when is our specific order date that we would like to add in, okay? So this, you know, a few examples uh, of, of how we're seeing this being used is with status reporting. So if you've got the ability to review, okay, for specific items, you know, do we have this? Is this being approved by design? Is this ready to order? Where is this in the procurement workflow? Uh, there's also bulk purchasing. So there's a couple areas of bulk purchasing that are pretty interesting here. So Christine mentioned some of the challenges around, you know, different teams ordering different, um, you know, uh, doing duplicate orders, but there's also these opportunities to try and find, uh, products where you, uh, you know, would look for common suppliers as well. So grouping by your products, uh, you know, the names or the placeholder items, you've got that opportunity to actually find, you know, where are some, where can we find common suppliers for these? with the total quantities that are associated against them as well. Uh, Same thing with forecasting. You know, you've got that ability to share like where you've got a um, supplier that's been nominated. You can share specific dates of like, what are the actual deadlines and be able to export these uh, into into Excel, um, you know, or share these, um, share these upcoming dates and quantities that are required uh, for each of the different locations. Uh, the same thing again with something along the lines of management and planning. You know, we, uh, we actually don't have the ability to sort, you know, in this release that we have here, uh, but that will be uh, coming up very soon. And this could be running through, you know, deadlines. What are the actual deadlines for the, um, for the specification, deadlines for ordering? Um, this is potentially based on lead times, those kinds of things as well. Uh, to identify all of those items across all the various projects which are required within, you know, a particular date range. So, uh, you know, a couple of really key, uh, capabilities there that this is unlocking. So, uh, on top of that, I'll, I'll just give you a quick sneak preview of a few improvements that we are making to the cross project reports over the coming weeks. One of those is the ability to save views. So this is Oh, actually just first up, um, pulling together product cards. So if you've actually got items specified within the library, um, and those items that are on your projects, uh, are coming from the library or connected to the library, we'll be grouping all of those together. So you've got this nice clean view of all of your uh, specification data into that one sort of merged cell or card or product card. Uh, the other thing is saving views. So. If you've spent all this time to work, you know, pull together the right columns, the right filters, all of those sorts of things, that'll make it much easier for you to pull this back up, share those views with your colleagues as well. So simply as you build that view, you're able to save that, name the view, and then also uh, edit those as well. All right. And that's, uh, that's it for cross project reports. Yeah. We're excited to learn about how uh, all of you can you know, utilize this feature and, you know, let's discover ways to, you know, make savings, save time, and coordinate across all of your teams.
0: Uh, thank you, Lachlan. And Christina, since this is a product that was initially pioneered by Tiffany requested, how do you envision using this feature, new feature?
1: Um. So Lachlan, had, just as Lachlan had kind of explained um the primary purpose of this feature for us would be for um full year forecasting. Um, you know, as you know, we work with a lot of smaller suppliers and vendors who make these items by hand, and so at the front end they need to know several months in advance the expected volume um that they're expected to process for us. Um and if it turns out that the you know, that the volume we're requesting is not achievable by their company, then that would allow our design team to know that they should begin to source an alternative option for these items. And so right now, um, of course, this is all contingent on the specifications being in folio, which is what we're working on with our design team, making sure everybody's getting those specs uploaded. Um, But once that happens, I think this completely transforms the handoff to procurement and planning. Um And so now we don't have to rely on this very time-consuming and labor-intensive process to individually, you know, check every single project sheet, which we have over 60 in folio at the moment, um, and try to find that spec every single time, download an individual Excel export, and then consolidate. And of course, this takes hours and hours of time right now, and we simply just don't have the staff capacity to support that kind of work. And so this, you know, represents a significant benefit in what it can kind of achieve for not just the workflows in Tiffany, but also, you know, how much money we end up spending on these projects, as well as the final execution of the stores. Um, something that we've implemented over the last year is because all of these stores had previously opened not quite looking like the renderings that were proposed, um, there is now a very specific process to get an approval for a store to open to the public. And so now we're trying to not open any stores that don't have the chandeliers in place, don't have the right furniture, um, and et cetera. Um, And this creates a huge problem because the longer you hold off the store opening, the more sales you lose. And a lot of these openings are strategically timed um, around particular holidays or seasons within the region. Um, And so what's most important for us is to, make sure the store is open exactly on time, looking exactly how they're supposed to. Um, and so we can now avoid a lot of these issues in terms of, you know, not having the correct items or not having the items in time.
0: This is from Bowie here. I have a question for uh, Christina. It's really, you know, how how's the supply chains, um, you know, because you guys mentioned there are many custom items, right? The manufacturing lead times is always hard to manage. Um, and we know that that is particularly acute uh, during the pandemic. And I just wonder how things looking, um, you know, since this year's, are things getting better or still a big struggle? And, and among like, you know, all the struggles we have, like how, how do you rank this pink, pain
1: So in regards to the supply chain as a whole, I think there has been an improvement since the pandemic. Um, people have kind of learned. Um, throughout that time, how to better mobilize themselves. And so I think for us, we're having less issues with the s- lead times from the supplier itself and more so making sure that all teams internally have visibility to those lead times. Um, and so we don't have so many issues where the supplier will be like, Oh, we expect this item will take 12 weeks. Um, and then it ends up taking like 16 weeks. It's more so the central team isn't always aware of what the supplier is providing. And I think we also have to consider um, the region that it's coming from. So right now, something that's, you know, one of our main concerns is so many of our suppliers are located in Asia. And with the upcoming Lunar New Year, it means all the factories are being shut down for a period of time. Um, And so, If we know exactly which suppliers are affected within that region, that can kind of help us with advanced planning for this supply chain contingency.
0: So so it's more about the visibility collaborations uh, across different teams and make sure that they all see the data and plan ahead. Uh, But in terms of like, you know, uh, you know, like surprise or late delivery that
1: has happened to us. Precisely
3: we finish up, I just, uh, we'd like to highlight that these, uh, the two features that we've just, uh, demonstrated are, uh, premium features. So, uh, we are going to make these available to anyone who's looking for, you know, a, a bit of a free trial on those. Please reach out to your customer success manager and they will be able to activate that for you. And, you know, we can run through like a brief introduction and assistance with setup as well, uh, if, if needed.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you, Christina, for joining us today. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your insights with us and I will hope to see you again on the next one.